Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange. This is our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. So this week's exchange is with Lucene and it was recorded live at Decibel Festival in Seattle. So please excuse the background noise. Lucene has been releasing fantastic ambient and experimental techno tracks for a good 15 years now. And although he's originally from Texas, he's called Seattle home for over a decade, which made him an ideal choice for this talk. Andrew Rice, our North American editor, asked the questions on this one. And you'll find out plenty about Lucene's creative process and his ongoing relationship with Ghostly International. You can find our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Lucene is up next. Seattle veteran. How's it going? So, how many decimals have you been to so far, or in your life? I've been to all of them except for one. So, uh, starting in what was it, 2003? So, I guess that would probably be like 11 or so, <laughs> 10 or 11. And you're known as a Seattle guy, but you grew up in Dallas, right? Yeah, I grew up in Dallas. Uh, went to school in Austin, moved out to California, and then moved up here. So, how did you come across electronic music when you're living in Texas? Well, it was like the early 90s, so, you know, uh, they had like this uh, weekend broadcast of DJ music and they played a lot of like breakbeat and techno from, from that era. So, uh, you know, I was always just kind of curious about how that music was made and figuring out uh, what kind of equipment to buy and stuff to make it. How did you figure that out? Well, when I went to college, I had some friends who were very technically savvy. They had samplers and you know, EPS 16 plus and whatnot, and um, they got me going in the right direction. I thought I should make it on a four track, uh, and my friend was like, yeah, you don't make electronic with a four track. So you know, he got me going with like sequencers and samplers and stuff. And um, so I think it was like the freshman year of college when I started collecting like a drum machine and a workstation and a mixer and you know, went from there. I mean, I'm lucky to have met them because I probably wouldn't have figured it out on my own. And what kind of stuff were you listening to when you started making your own music or trying to make your own music? Um, I mean, it started out with 
you know, sort of your basics like Moby and, you know, whatever was popular at the time, the Prodigy and, um, and then some kind of like DJ 12 inch kind of stuff that they would play on the radio. I would record mixtapes of that stuff. And so I'd be playing that in my car, you know, not knowing what it was sort of before the Chemical Brothers, it was the Dust Brothers. And they had a few singles that I was really into, you know, uh, but then my friends were into like, Aphex Twin and Autepra and, you know, Speedy J, Adam Hart, stuff like that. And so they got me into, like, sort of the more interesting side of things pretty early on. Uh, so I was kind of trying to straddle that divide a little bit. Yeah, your earliest music kind of seems like a cross between, like, glitchy and IDM stuff, a little bit dense. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> when did you move to Seattle? I uh, moved here at the end of 2002. Why? Some of those friends. Uh, had moved up from Austin to Seattle. Meanwhile, I was down in LA. I had gone to Cal Arts Art School and uh, was in their music and film school. And then I stuck around LA and lived in North Hollywood for a couple of years, working on a few interesting things like film scores, but then I was also doing like a day job and I just, uh, it wasn't really working for me. And so I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go and I had friends here and I had friends back in Austin. I decided to try out a new place. What was the music scene here like when you got here? It was good. I mean, it was really tight-knit, you know, but a lot of the same people that are involved in this festival, you know, back then. Sean, I think, moved there right around the same time that I moved to Seattle. So um, I was booked for a few nights down in some smaller spaces. There was a, a, a weekly going on at the Alibi Room downtown when I first moved here, which was interesting. But it was good. It was tight-knit and kind of... Uh, you know, more oriented towards diverse styles, like experimental and some dance music and whatnot. Did that direction change in the city after that, do you think? I mean, it's definitely grown to the point where like now, I feel like there are electronic music artists making completely different music. You know, you wouldn't even put them in the same, you know, you know book them for the same nights or whatever. So, um, and crews doing like full on dance, oriented nights and then some people doing more kind of pop, you know, electronic nights and, and whatnot. I think it's just gotten a lot bigger, but so is the course of electronic music around the country, so. Where do you think you fit in all that? They're kind of in between. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of do what I do. I mean, I do think that I'm influenced by whatever's going on at this current moment. So, you know, there's certain artists that I might be really into now that would influence my music. I don't really know how I fit into the scene. I just, um, if somebody wants to book me here, then I play here, so. Do you find it hard to kind of market yourself when you don't really fit into any one genre, especially <laughs> in dance music? Yeah, I mean, I, I see the value in sort of like genre marketing, and I, I think at any one point in time, I'm, I'm not the go-to artist for a certain genre, but I think there's something to be said for also not wanting to be the go-to artist for a specific genre, you know, because then sometimes that genre fades and people only think of that artist as like one genre. Whereas if you're kind of willing to kind of go in different areas, then um, people hear your music as being you, but it, the style might kind of go in different directions. What do you think about your music that's you? What, what keeps it your music as it's changed over the years? In general, I think the one thing that sort of stayed the same for just my particular taste is I like music with a hook, you know, but I don't like really cheesy hooks, you know, so I, I like music that is hooky, but you can do it in kind of an interesting way. So I'll find that hook in different styles of music 
you know, say like, that's a really good hook, but I don't like the rest of that song. So you try to like think of a way that you can make a track using that style and come up with a, a, something that grabs people, but might not go all the way or, or like has something that, that makes it a little bit different. And you're someone who's released a lot of albums and records over the years. And when you work on an album, do you kind of sit down with an idea or concept in mind, or do you just work constantly and, and see what happens? I think I start off by just saying, you know, I, there's a few things that I want to do that I've been hearing lately that I really like, and start off making a few tracks and see kind of where those go. And then after like three or four tracks, you start seeing, oh, you know, if I made those tracks and what can I do to sort of complement those tracks and fill out a full album to where these tracks complement the ones that I've already made. So I don't start out with a full idea, but I think the idea starts to come to me after I've been working for a bit. And with someone with such a large discography, when you play live, do you mostly play your, like your most recent records or do you reach back into your catalog to play? Sometimes I do. Uh, I was playing a few dates with Tipper, who is very different music for me. But he asked me, he was like, you know, it'd be cool if you could bring out some of the you know, earlier stuff that you did. And so I figured out a way to sort of incorporate some stuff I did like 10 years ago into a set that also had, because my last EP was, you know, at the, at the right tempo and kind of the right style to where I can incorporate some of the older stuff and have it kind of work. But it's not something I generally do. I think it's usually the more current stuff that I bring into my live set, so like remixes or um, tracks I've recently made and try to do more live interpretations of those. Do you still feel a connection with your older work? I think a lot of electronic artists kind of distance themselves from Yeah, I mean, I get that feeling too. It's hard for me to connect with some of my old stuff. And I've actually been meaning to go back and listen to like an old album and see what I think about it now, but you spend so much time working on a, on a track and working on an album and you're done and it's great and you listen to it and you like it and then you never want to listen to it again, you know? So I think probably all artists have some of that, you know, feeling. How have your working methods changed over the decades? It's kind of fluctuated. When I started, it was mostly hardware. So I was working with sequencers and drum machines and like an analog and doing really basic sequencing stuff uh, because I had to. And then I got like a Pentium 75 back in 1995 or something and started, that sort of started the whole recording to hard disk and then multi-tracking. And then it started to become a lot more kind of computer focused. And then in the past few years, I've started getting a lot more live instruments. Like I have a cello and violin and guitar and electric bass. and. I've been starting to collect a lot of hand percussion stuff. I try to incorporate live recording, you know, resampling um, hardware synths and stuff. And um, I mean, it's a good place right now because hardware synths are really popular, so there's a lot on the market. And so there's so many different ways that you can make it because the software is also really powerful. So I think things have come back around to where making music with hardware is easier than it used to be. Um, and not nearly as limiting, so, yeah. What made you start wanting to incorporate instruments into your music? You know, I think there's just a lot of artists that do it well, and people that, you, you hear this organic element to their music. You know, I don't want my music to sound fully synthetic, you know, synths and drum machines and whatnot, so um, 
dosh, you know, and fortet and people like that, that, you know, you hear these sounds and it just makes things sound a lot more rich, you know, when it's not just, you know, all synthetic sounds are, are obviously sampled and resynthesized and, you know. So how do you work the instruments in? Because I wouldn't think that there's a lot of instrumentation in your songs, but, you know, it doesn't sound like live instruments. Yeah, part of that is just because I'm, you know, I get really kind of uh, perfectionist in how I'm sampling stuff, so it ends up sounding really sequenced, you know, like, but um, I've played a lot of uh, cello and guitar, you know, percussion stuff, violin is all in my music. It's just, you might not hear it because it just sounds like another layer. Field recordings are also something that I love to work with, so uh, just going out recording whatever and then figuring out like a weird way to where it can sound rhythmic, but nobody can really tell what it is. You know, but at the same time, I, it's probably something I'm not very good at and something I want to get better at is uh, making it sound more live. And I think it's just I have to let things go a little bit. That's sort of the direction I'm trying to go in is uh, making things sound less controlled. Are you the kind of person who fusses with like every little sound? And I am, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I don't know if I'll ever get away from that, you know, because uh, if I let a track go, like, which is what I want to do, I might just get frustrated with it and not ever finish it, you know? So I'll tweak it and tweak it and tweak it until I like it. How do you decide when a track is done? I don't know, but I always seem to know. And that's what keeps me going, is I know that eventually I'll get to a point where I think it's done. It usually takes me a long time though. You know, for one track, it'll take me like three to four weeks. When you're working with field recordings, instrumentation, all that stuff, how do you translate like dense recordings like that into a live set? Uh, well, I start out by throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it and then start peeling away, you know, to where certain things jump out at me. So this aspect of the field recording sounds really good. I gotta cut out everything else and just have that one thing. And then this aspect of this glockenspiel or whatever that I recorded sounds cool, but if I keep it all in there, then it'll just sound too dense. So I just pull out that one clip or resample it and then throw it back into the sequence. I mean, the way I make music is sort of a process of minimizing, like starting with everything and pulling everything away. Do you enjoy performing live? I do. You know, I mean, there's always those shows when you're not feeling it. So I think it depends on the venue and it depends on the crowd and what the promoter's visualization of the night is going to be. But I love performing live in general. Does your set allow for much improvisation or like just changing things up every day? That's another thing that's changed over time is I'm always trying to figure out a new way to perform. You know, more controllers. I have this little analog synth that I this Tetra that I have as part of my live setup, and just making sure that every track that I throw into my live set has a lot of tweakable parameters. But it's not like just a full-on improvisation, like just me walking up there and not knowing at all what it's gonna be. So it's kind of a combination of, you know, the elements of my songs that I wanna put in there and how I want it to flow, but then uh, having moments of improvisation within. Is your set pretty well planned out in advance? Or? Yeah, I mean, it is, but I will kind of make on-the-spot decisions sometimes as to which tracks I'm going to throw in. So I have like a live set that 
usually I kind of like, okay, this is gonna be my set. You know, these are the tracks that I'm gonna play. But I also have like um, 10 other tracks in that same live set that if I want to, I can jump to those, change things up. Right now, it's a little bit harder because a lot of my songs are different tempos, so it's harder to um, go from a song that has, that's 75 BPM to something that's 120. But, um, you know, there's usually like one or two tracks within different tempo ranges that I can jump to if I feel like I need to extend the set or if I want to go into a different direction. Yeah, I mean, I guess even if you're not making dance music, people are still expecting to dance, so you kind of have to take care of that. Yeah, I mean, lately I've not been, my live sets have been kind of very down-tempo and very eclectic, so I started out very down-tempo. It's more of like a um, head-bobbing, you know, listening crowd. But, you know, especially if I'm in Europe, it's dance music, so. <laughs> Another thing I've noticed about your newer music is there's a lot of vocals in there, either like manipulated or just straight-up songs. You know, I like what I hear when it comes to vocals, and I'm, it's something that I, I'm often wanting to try out. I've always had, like, this side of me that is in, into, like, indie rock and, you know, My Bloody Valentine, like, Stereolab, whatever. And so I'm, um, there's, there's an aspect of vocals that I've always been into. And so it's hard for me to just sit and only make instrumental music. Um, I always think that there's some other area that can be explored, and a lot of times that includes vocals. Yeah, some of the more recent stuff kind of sounds like pop music, especially The Waiting Room, your last album. Was that on purpose? Like, how do you feel about the kind of moving in a pop direction? There are definitely tracks that I do that are more, you know, the vocals are not so much an instrument, but more like they're the song, you know? One of those was actually a cover, and it was, you know, my wife and I were always into electronic, and we love that song, Get the Message, and we thought it would be cool to try to do a cover. I'm not sure if I'll ever do a cover again, but um, it was fun, you know? So I thought it would work, and I liked the way it came out. Some of them, you know, are kind of poppy, but um, they're a little bit weird, in my opinion. I don't know. Like, I, I thought Two Dots was not really a pop song. It was somewhere in between. And so, you know, a lot of times the vocals that I do are not full-on verses and full-on choruses, but they're like little clipped verses or just like clips of the vocals that I think work with the instrumentation the best. And so they're kind of half pop songs, I guess. Do you feel like the audience for your music has changed since you started moving in a more approachable direction? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, d I definitely have the people that are like, you know, I really love the stuff that you did like 10 years ago, you know, that, that you know, that more experimental stuff is, is great, you know. And then I also have the people that come to me and say, um, you know, I first got into you like in 2009 or 2010 with a certain distance, you know, I had never heard of you before. So there's definitely like different crowds that are interested in different sides of my music. Does it ever concern you? No, I love it. I love that. You know, I, I don't think it's necessarily the way to um, to get like a huge, you know, following. You know, like I mean, I think a lot of artists that get like huge followings are like with a particular crowd. You know, but in order to keep making music, I think you have to be inspired, and a part of that inspiration comes from trying out different styles and jumping in different directions. And hopefully, if people will understand that, you know, they like your music and they you know, they think that your style, or you as an artist might sort of transcend those styles, I would hope, so. As someone who's been making electronic music for over 20 years now, have you ever just thought, like, I'm done with it? Like, Yeah, I mean, I think that all the time, honestly. <laughs> I, 
I mean, it's hard not to think that. But then, you know, a lot of times I'm miserable when I'm not working on a song. And then I'm more miserable when I'm just starting a song. And then I, halfway through the track, I'm like, all right, it's starting to go somewhere, but I still don't know where it's going, so I'm frustrated. And then when I finish the song, I mean, it's like the best feeling ever. So I don't know that I can ever get away from, from making music because you, know, you always feel like you've gotten somewhere new. And I don't ever want to make music that's always in one genre because I won't necessarily feel like that's going somewhere different. You know, it's not quite as fulfilling, I don't think. So how do you keep yourself inspired? I mean, the best way for me to keep inspired is by listening to a lot of other people's music, watching films. You know, a lot of times it's not even just music in the film, but like scenes might inspire you to a certain um, feeling. You have to like sit back and take a breather sometimes you know, not work on music to figure out where you're going next. I have gear lust too, so I'm always like trying to get the new whatever, even if I don't need it. But that's partially inspiring. I think after a while it gets to be less inspiring. Like I don't need another synthesizer, you know. <laughs> but I do need more hand percussion, so. You mentioned films. I know you're quite a, a film guy. Does your love of film influence or the way you approach music at all? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like the, the composer who did the, the score for Under the Skin, like that music was amazing to me. And there's something really patient and weird and morbid about the music, but it was also really pretty. And just the way those scenes transitioned, you know, something that you can kind of take on a musical level. You know, Terrence Malick is, you know, always a director that has that sort of patient and, you know, understated beauty that I like. And you've done a few film scores yourself. Do you like that line of work? Yeah, I love it because, I mean, it's good to go back and forth between stuff that is uh, only you and you have to come up with everything on your own and then something where the director has something that he really wants you to do and you have to figure out an interpretation of what he wants. It's, it's like taking a little bit of weight off of you and forcing you into a direction that you don't normally go. And I think it helps when you come back to your music because you were in a different mode and you can kind of incorporate some of what you were doing there into your own music. As someone who obviously appreciates visual art, um, when you're making your own instrumental music, do you often have like an image or scene in your head or is Sometimes. I, you know, I was just, I had an idea for a music video. I won't tell you what it is. We might end up doing it, but uh, I mean, I was listening to music and thinking about an idea that might work as a music video. Yeah, a lot of times it's just memories, you know, uh, that sort of have like a visual stuck in your head that's inspiring to making music or, um, you know, a scene from a movie, like I said, that you're thinking about when you're making music. I think it, you know, this sort of cross, thinking about the two types of art at the same time really works. As someone who kind of works on your own in your own little corner of electronic music, do you ever worry about staying relevant, like keeping interest in your sound? I mean, yeah, I worry about it, but I mean, I, I think that's why it's important that you can't just like hole up in your room and just make the music that you like. Because I mean, if I was just inspired by my own thoughts, my music would be really boring. So, I mean, I think you do kind of have to always be aware of what's going on and how things are moving in the, in the world and decide what you like and what you hate about 
uh, the current scene and, and figure out ways that you can incorporate it into it. So, um, and then if you are doing that, then you really just, you can't worry too much about staying relevant. At least that's how I try to, try to think about it. And you've been with uh, Ghostly International for over 10 years. Yeah. Why stay with the label for so long? I hear all kinds of horror stories about, you know, the way record labels treat artists. And I've never had that with Ghostly. So, you know, I figure you don't want to jump ship on a situation like that. They've definitely, you know, gotten a lot better with a lot of the ways they, they do things over time, just from learning, you know, learning experience. But you have these personal relationships and people that you trust. And, you know, that's a little bit hard to come by, I think, in the music industry. I think a lot of people have bad feelings about their respected label owners or whatever, and I've, I've just never had that with Ghostly. So. What is it about the label musically that you connect with? They also, I think, are really interested in going in different directions. So I think we definitely see on the same page with that stuff. You know, their artists are just really eclectic. You know, they have like School Seven Bells over here, Matthew Deere over here, you know, Shigeto over there. It's, I mean, it's like all different stuff going on at the same time, which I love, so. Which direction are you going in next? Because you're working on an album, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like what I was saying. I mean, trying to incorporate, trying to figure out how to make live recordings fit into the way I think about music. Um, working a little bit with vocals, trying to keep things loose, but not to the point where the song just sounds boring. So trying to have like that loose feel, but with a solid concept for a song. I mean, that's about all I can say. But, I mean, maybe incorporating a little bit more sort of ambient stuff into it. I'm starting to think about transitions a little bit more, so. I feel like one thing that's, you kept hearing music throughout the whole few decades is it's all kind of melancholy and soft. Would, like, where does that come from? Is that just your personality? Probably, I mean, I'm kind of an introvert, so I've never been the kind of person to want to, um, to like have these bangers that everybody jumps up and goes crazy for. But I also like the feeling of energy when a track builds. So I think a lot of my, my tracks have builds just because it's something that like as a musician, you wanna feel this like lifting energy sometimes. But I'm also really into subtlety in music. And I know that doesn't always square with what's going on, so. And obviously you have like a, a nice family situation now, which you didn't have a few years ago. So has having a family like that uh, influenced your music or like changed the way you think about music at all? Sure, yeah, it has. I mean, uh, Sarah was always into this scene. So um, she also has like her favorite musicians. So we kind of go back and forth on what we like. You know, it gives you a, a feeling of um, security, just having a family and, um, you know, you see your kid grow up and that's exciting and I'm sure it influences your music in different ways. I mean, I wrote a song about my stepdaughter. I won't tell you which one it is though. So.